What's going on today? Hope the day is treating you well. Wanted to let you know the podcast is proudly brought to you by Muskoka Spray Foam Insulation. If you need your home spray foamed, be sure to check out msfi.ca today. Drew and the crew over at Muskoka are waiting for you to help you with your spray foam needs. Be sure to check out msfi.ca today. We're also proudly brought to you by Boone Contracting. They pride themselves on excellent customer service and quality workmanship. They specialize in every aspect of contracting, residential or commercial, from complete custom renovations, decks, fencing and more. Be sure to check out boonecontracting.ca. Are you ready to go offside? Because it's Offside Hockey Talk with your host, James Roberts. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back with another Offside Hockey Talk chat here. We're sitting down with Mike Camito. It's a little bit of rough times. Mike, how is everyone in the Camito household? Oh, they're doing well. I mean, all things considered, uh, we've got a newborn in the house, and three and a half year old who's adjusting quite well to becoming a big sister in this extraordinary time. But uh, yeah, every one day at a time is how we're taking it. That's the only thing everybody can do, really, right now, right? Just kick it one day at a time and see how it goes. But it's awesome to hear the little ones doing well, and it's awesome to hear the big sisters taking the role nicely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks. How's your uh, household doing? Yeah, you know, not too bad. I'm still out working, so. The essential worker driving the truck around the city delivering medical gas. But other than that, everybody else is hunkered down at home and just uh, keeping it safe and keeping close to the, the front porch pretty much. Yeah, no, good to hear. Yes, sir. Well, there hasn't been much to talk about hockey-wise, obviously, with everything off right now. We're going to get into a little bit later on talking about how everything's going to resume. But there was something that did happen, and that was the uh, OHL uh, Under-18 Selection Draft. And obviously, you're a big Sudbury Wolves guy. I'm wondering uh, if we want to talk a little bit about the guys they selected, maybe starting with Jack Barker. Yeah, well, I mean, admittedly, these are players who I've never seen play before. Um, you know, it's, it's not, you know, I don't keep close tabs on, on what's happening in, in some of those leagues below uh, the OHL. But, I mean, I think from just the, like a high-level perspective on how the Wolves did the draft, I think you know, the general consensus, obviously, not only here in Sudbury, but I think in the broader you know, junior hockey communities at the Wolves, I think, got a steal with some of those picks and, you know, did quite well, uh, especially in those first three rounds, getting some players who, um, you know, I think probably maybe dropped below where I think some people thought, you know, getting, you know, second rounder that probably could have been a first rounder. Uh, so I think it's it's really exciting uh, when, when a team does that well draft ultimately. I think that's what you're looking for, especially, you know, in the coming years with, uh, you know, with Byfield going to his draft here this year at the NHL. You know, he could be back uh, for the following season, but ultimately he's probably not going to be back for a fourth season, right? So I think they're starting to look towards the future and, and replenishing, um, you know, the talent that's going to come up in the coming years uh, to keep the team competitive. Now, obviously talking about Byfield just for a moment before we get back to these guys here, um, with Quinton Byfield, if he does come back to the Sudbury Wolves, do you see him maybe being a valuable trade chip to, uh, to get some assets back towards the trade deadline if the Wolves aren't doing well. Not to say that they won't, but I mean, I'm I'm only basing the model off what we see here in Halifax. Obviously, when those guys get a little bit older, we just watch guys like Bo Grew and Jared McIsaac and them go out the door at the trade deadline to get a haul back to rebuild because we obviously know junior hockey goes in a cycle. So I'm wondering, for the Sudbury Wolves, where are they at in this cycle? Does Quentin Byfield stick around, or is he one of those guys who, like I said, will be a package? 
yeah, I think ultimately that's gonna like they're gonna have to weigh every option, right? Because there is there's good arguments on either side, right? That ultimately, you know, depending on how competitive the team is next year, if obviously they're in a position to, to compete in the playoffs, then you know you want to hold on to him um, because that's ultimately probably gonna be your best chance in a little while to really be competitive. We haven't had a player like him come through the club in many many years, and so ultimately, um, you know, get in order to stay you know competitive in the playoff push. You're not going to get anybody back that's going to replace the talent that he has, right? Um, but conversely, if they're still, you know, doing well, but they don't really feel as though they're going to be able to perform to the level in the playoffs they think they're going to, or let's say they're out of the playoff picture for some reason, um, then yeah, you definitely have to look at at the future, right? Because he's not going to be back for that fourth year. Um, he could potentially help set you up um, in future years, and so. It's, it's one of those things where, again, even if you think about what happened, you know, um, this year with the pandemic, right, ultimately uh, teams have made moves like that and you never know what's going to happen. And so I think ultimately at least, you know, you look at a team like Niagara who had, had sold or had traded Phil uh, Thomas to the Peterborough Peets, right? Um, you know, with everything that had happened, you know, he was gonna, he could have walked out the door anyway, but, you know, they at least recouped some value on him. And ultimately, I think Peterborough obviously didn't get, you know, what, uh, what they had anticipated because of the pandemic and obviously not being able to, to go into the playoffs and see what can happen. So, yeah, I think it's one of those things where you, you kind of hear the chatter about in town locally. I think even this year, um, you know, there were some stories that were penned in the local newspaper. Well, are, are they going to be sellers this year um, when they've traded Byfield, you know, if they were in a position to, uh, you know, to succeed in the playoffs? Ultimately, I think that would have been a mistake. You want him to go up to that draft uh, floor, although probably not an actual draft floor this year. It can be done over the telephone. But you want him going there as a Sudbury Wolf. So, I mean, I don't think there's any real, um, you know, thought actually happening on the club side about that. But you do, you do hear people talk about at what point do you pull the trigger on that and try to get something back. Ultimately, if you know that, you know, he's going to have another full year of junior, he'd probably have his most value right now. But I think the, the team was pretty keen to, to keep him here and, and obviously, uh, you know, keep developing him in Sudbury. Well, sticking with Byfield for just a second, obviously over the World Juniors, he didn't have the greatest showing. What did you see in him when he came back, and was there a fire under him just to go out and basically set the world ablaze and let everybody know he was still there to make noise and still there to be the, the consensus, basically number two overall pick? Yeah, I think when he came back, um, you know, he, was, he was energized. He did have a really strong you know, push towards the end of the year. Obviously, he had cooled off from, like, I think the torrid start that he had at the beginning of the year. But, you know, he came back uh, still the same player that he was before. I think ultimately, you know, they talk about, you know, his, his, uh, you know, his showing at the World Juniors or at the, at the CHL, you know, top prospects game afterwards in Hamilton. Um, and, again, this is a player who's still, you know, only 17 years old, right? He doesn't turn 18 until, uh, until August or September. So he's a full year younger than a lot of those players, you know, that are at those tournaments, right? And so I think back, you know, obviously with Alexis Lafreniere, you know, the, the consensus number one this year, you know, previous years at the World Juniors, like, so the same thing could have been said about him, right? And so I think that ultimately, you know, people do look at, at the World Juniors and they, they think of that as a significant sample size or an indicator of, of how they're going to perform on a big stage. But I think you have to kind of keep, um, what, you know, what he's done in the context of himself as a player, but also, you know, the stage of his development. I think that improvement that he's had, you know, from his rookie season until this season was incredible. Um, he's only going to get stronger uh, he's only going to get bigger. Uh, so ultimately, as, as he continues to develop uh, physically, uh, you know, and his talent's going to catch up to that, you know, I would imagine that next year, you know, he will have um, a much better showing at those types of tournaments. Ultimately, I think, uh, so I, again, I don't. I think he did come back maybe with a little bit of a, 
a chip on his shoulder, but ultimately I don't think he really needed to do that because, you know, as much as, um, you know, he might not have had the tournament that he had hoped for. I think that's kind of the growing pains that a lot of players go through, um, you know, playing at that level and then going on to the international stage. One last question on Byfield. Do you think he's a player that would benefit from another year junior? Like if he gets drafted this year, obviously he will get drafted. But do you think he'll benefit for another year junior? Or if he ends up on a team like Ottawa, per se, um, where they have a lot of open roster space and a lot of team chemistry that's kind of developing with a younger kind of squad, do you see him sticking with a team like Ottawa? Or do you see him coming back, playing that final year junior, getting bigger, stronger, like you just said? Or is the NHL lure a little bit... uh, too much especially maybe with a name especially for Ottawa yeah that's that's an interesting question because ultimately it does kind of depend on where he goes uh, but ultimately I think that he's I think junior seems to be more of a, of a likely you know landing spot for him for another year right I think in terms of he is still very young so to have another year of development to really tear the league up you know one more time I think ultimately after that point um, he's probably not going to get much value out of, of playing in that in, in the OHL at that level but I, I still think that he is as great and as talented as he is and as, as likely he's going to go, you know, second overall. I, I don't necessarily foresee him, you know, turning pro next year and playing, you know, either at the NHL level or, or an AHL level for that matter. I think if you're going to, you know, put him somewhere, putting him in junior, putting him back in Sudbury would probably be the best thing for his development at this point. So that's that's what I would think at this point. But obviously, changing depending on where he ends up getting drafted, obviously, you know, uh, a lot can happen and, and there might be other decisions at play. No, 100%. Well, back to the Sudbury Wolves, obviously. Um, we were just talking about Jack Parker. Uh, they selected a goaltender in Gavin McCarthy. And, of course, another guy that was a little bit of an offensive flair guy, too, like you were talking about, was Owen Hardy. Um, just wondering, after the draft was done, do you think they have shored up spots they need to shore up? Or what is the weakness going in for Sudbury for next year, per se, that they need to go out and get or need to fill or find someone for? That's a great question. To be honest, I don't have a you know a good answer for you right now. So I will uh, <laughs> respectfully decline because I, again, as much as uh, I am the team historian for the Wolves, I have not really been kind of tapped into what they're kind of planning right now. Just because I think with everything that's going on with the with the quarantine and trying to get the rest of my life lined up, uh, I watched the draft, but you know haven't really kind of thought too far down the road just yet about what uh, what the next season might look like for the club. Not a worry at all. We'll definitely tune in maybe later on in the summer when things resume and get back to the maybe some sort of normalcy. Talk to you again about the Sudbury Wolves. But there's another team that you do a little bit of stuff for, and that's the LA Kings. And obviously they were in the news this week with a outspoken Drew Doughty saying he doesn't see the season resuming. I'm wondering for you, um, one, should Drew Doughty be coming out and saying those things? Obviously we're all thinking them. Um, should he more be towing the line of we don't know? Or do you like the fact that he's come out and just laid his own thoughts on the line? Well, I think I've definitely come to appreciate, you know, Drew Doughty's candidness over the last, you know, I think over the course of his NHL career, but I think more or so in the last couple of years. Obviously, he speaks his mind. Um, you know, people may or may not agree with it. Ultimately, I think that I, I have no issue with what he said. I think that that is, I, I think a lot of us are kind of, you know, wondering whether or not it's uh, – it's feasible to have the season resume. Ultimately, I think we shouldn't be necessarily taking stock of what Drew Doughty says or what any other, you know, NHL player or, you know, executive says, because ultimately that's going to be determined by the medical community, right? So unless, you know, unless um, we're getting told by, by Health Canada that, uh, you know, the season could resume or it's not going to resume, like that's who we should be kind of going to in terms of 
who do we trust on this 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 matter? Uh, but I think that he has a point that I think more and more as this kind of continues to drag on, it's it's becoming harder and harder to visualize uh, you know how this could actually be possible to one uh, finish the season in some kind of meaningful way, but then also have time to do a meaningful playoffs, but then also you know take enough of a break before the next season starts. Right? I think. We saw that uh, that player proposal that was going around a few weeks ago with you know having a mini camp in in uh, July and then you know finishing the season and having the playoffs in August and September. Um, I it's just uh, realistically, I just don't know how you could possibly do that, right? And so I think his other comment that I think got people kind of fired up was that uh, you know if, even if we did have the you know, hockey season resume this year and the team won the Stanley Cup. It's not going to be a real Stanley Cup, and I think he's alluding to the fact that you may not be able to do, you know, a traditional four rounds best of seven uh, series in order to determine the winner, right? And I think that if people want to see some playoff hockey and it's feasible, then the NHL might have to explore some, you know, different scenarios for the playoffs. And then, of course, if it is a different scenario and you've got like a best of uh, best of five in the first round, or maybe even shorter in the opening rounds before you get to like a, a final best of seven for the cup. You're, you're going to have you know any any number of fan bases saying, well, that's not a real Stanley Cup because you can go through the full gauntlet you know, that teams have gone through in the past. Again, these are insinuating circumstances, and I think ultimately it is what it is, and um, no one could have foreseen this happening. But um, that'll be interesting to see uh, what that will look like and, and what kind of pushback. But yeah, he's always good for uh, for a good quote to get uh, to get the hockey world uh, a buzz. Well, there's a lot of people that are saying that he uh, kind of had a little bit of sour grapes towards the season resuming because obviously the LA Kings are where they are in the standings. Um, you know, for him, it's almost meaningless because even if you bring back the rest of the regular season, there's nothing the LA Kings can do um, to get in the playoffs, which is what everybody's talking about. I'm wondering from your perspective, though, they're talking about trying to have some sort of finality to the end of the season where the teams that are close on the bubble, you look at the Minnesota Wild, you look at the Islanders, the Canucks, the Rangers, even the Montreal Canadiens. I'm wondering if, in your mind, is there anything they can do to accommodate those bubble teams? Or do you simply say, if you guys want to have a playoffs, it has to be now a cutoff. You're either in or you're out, and that's it. And then you go from there. Or, or what do you think is the best-case scenario, if they do anything at all? Yeah, I think one of the more... Um... I think logical scenarios that has been tossed out is that you would, again, this, this all kind of ties back to like whether or not any of this is feasible. And this scenario would actually kind of, I think, make add some constraints to this is that you may not be able to accommodate those teams that were kind of pushing for a playoff spot or have games in hand and might have been able to get in. And so I've seen, you know, talk of well, would you expand the playoff format this year? So you had you know, 24 teams get in, and that way you could say all of those bubble teams that, you know, might have made a push, you're now in because we've expanded the playoffs, right? And then you'd have to kind of tinker with, well, how are you going to, you have more teams now, so that's ultimately more games, but how are you going to kind of spread that out so you're not actually then having, a, you know, a four-month playoff. You're not going to be able to do a best-of-seven series, you know, for 24 teams. You might have to do a play-in tournament, you know, for those bubble teams, and then they kind of move into that next round of, of your actual playoff, uh, playoff teams, right? And so... That, that's kind of an interesting one. And, I mean, ultimately, if you're going to look at those teams on the bubble, you mentioned Montreal, you know, even Chicago. These are obviously, you know, big teams that have big markets and get big ratings. So I think the NHL is keen, you know, that if we do see a resumption of play, that you have some big markets in there that are going to draw people in. I think at, at any point, if you have sports on TV that is, you know, being played 
meaningfully you're going to have the eyeballs that you're looking for because I think everyone is kind of starved for some kind of new uh, sporting content right now. But ultimately, I think, especially for the NHL, um, you know, one of the smaller you know leagues in the major league uh, circuit that to have big teams in the playoffs, um, I think is obviously critical for them. Now, what do you make of this? Like, there's obviously a couple neutral sites being proposed, one in Arizona. The latest that just came out was Gary Bettman has reached out to the governor of New Hampshire to see if they can bring all the teams there and do the sort of playoffs and everything with all the teams. My concern with that is is you're bringing in all of these teams and all of these players and coaching staff, training staff, and you're also going to have to have whatever shuttle drivers, cooks, hotel staff, um, you, any, any number of extra services, you name it, um, especially in the climate that we're in, do you think even if we get to the point where you can start easing restrictions, don't you think that's a little bit of, uh, you know, where sports, it's a great entertainment, it takes us away from reality, but don't you think that just puts uh, stress on a system that doesn't need it right now, so to speak? Yeah, I agree. I mean, as much as, like, I, I say how we're all, we're all happy starved right now and, you know, we can only watch so many retro games um, to kind of fill that void, I think for me personally, you know, the focus is on, I think, getting back uh, to normal in society and, and trying to you know, get through this as, as best we can without putting anybody at in un, uh, addition, unnecessary additional risk, right? So that that would be, I would agree with you there. That again, um, it, it, even like the logistics of this, right? You'd have to have the teams, you know, living there, um, you know, potentially for for months, right, to kind of make this happen, right? And so that's an additional stress that's you know on the families of those players who are now going to be kind of locked up in quarantine away from their families for three months in North Dakota, let's say for example, um, you know, while they kind of go through the playoffs, um, and then you know. So, I mean, for me, as, as much as I would love to see, you know, the Stanley Cup being awarded this year, I would really only want to see that happen, um, you know, if we were in a position to do that safely and comfortably, right? Again, it doesn't seem like that's possible right now. So, I think the NHL is doing its job of exploring all scenarios and planning for, you know, down the road that if this clears in July or August or it's starting to clear and it's becoming to be safer, that they're in position to set that up so they're not trying to start from scratch, um, but I think, you know, for me and I think many other, you know, sports and hockey fans out there, the priority obviously is, is, is health, number one, and then anything else is kind of secondary. No, that is that is 100% correct. And it, I just think it's kind of irresponsible if you're going to go out and try to do this like now because they're, they're pushing as hard as they can to try to get something going as quickly as they can. And I think it's just irresponsible. And I think you're just putting people at risk when you don't need to. As much as we all love to see hockey and as much as the almighty dollar, you know, talks and you look at Trump trying to open things up, you know, for me, I think everybody staying alive and everybody being healthy coming out on the other side is what needs to be focused on more so. But, you know, obviously we're talking hockey. So I got to ask the question, when the season gets done, whatever conclusion we come to and say it is, you know, they go through the playoffs and they're done in October, what do you think is an adequate amount of time to give those teams that just went through brutal playoffs, injuries, etc., the amount of time off before going into a training camp and then starting another season. From what I've heard, it's, you know, hopefully get everything wrapped up just before October, middle of October, and hopefully resume the season by late November, early December. And to me, that just doesn't seem like a whole lot of time 
for those teams if they do have injuries and then for other teams to do a proper training camp assessment etc and not to mention you have to do free agency draft and everything in there somewhere as well yeah that's always been i think the thing for me that even you know especially now that we're getting further and further away from some of these proposals and those timelines are now getting pushed back even more than they were when we first like threw these ideas out you know a month ago let's say um it's it's yeah i don't i don't honestly don't think there's enough time and i mean one of the things that I think you could do to try to, um, you know, maybe add some time between the playoffs and the start of the next regular season um, is shorten the following season, right? But ultimately, that's probably going to be a non-starter for a lot of the owners uh, and for the NHL itself because ultimately, that's a loss of. Well, they've already they've already said that next season, if they do get this one done, they will shorten next season. So that's already something that's been proposed, and they've also said they're going to scrap the all-star game and any other festivities and they'll be dropping the bye week as well so all of that would be eliminated yeah well i mean i think any i think you know obviously getting rid of the bye week i think it's something that we've seen um more and more you know demand to get rid of that especially from the players who find that even after a week you know off you know getting back up to game speed you know you see some injuries coming out of the bye weeks that i don't think that that would be um, you know, disappointment to many people, and that, and that's why I think the timing of all this is going to be uh, challenging. Because again, you have players now who are coming out of like by the time this ends, you know, it could be you know two to three months where they haven't been, you know, in they haven't been playing, um, they haven't really been skating either. Right? They've been able to work out as best as they can remotely, but you, certainly there's nothing that can stimulate uh, you know NHL game speed or NHL gameplay, right? And so. I think, yeah, I think that would be great to get rid of the bye week and ultimately get rid of the all-star game, which is something that's a whole other conversation is whether or not that's necessary, uh, particularly kind of coming back from a pandemic. Um, but, yeah, I, again, I think that was my thing previously was that if the NHL was willing to explore shortening the season to, like, let's say a 70-game schedule, you know, you could shave a good month and a half off there, right? If you reduce the amount of games anywhere between 12 to 14 games, you're going to save a significant amount of time, right? And so I think that was initially when, we talked about this a few weeks ago. The league probably wasn't, you know, willing to entertain that idea yet, just because obviously that's that's money out of pocket off right off the hop. But I think as it gets further and further out, I'm sure they're going to be more willing to explore options that would allow a, a Stanley Cup to potentially be awarded and be, you know, have a, a, a season next year. The only other stumbling block for all of this, it's great in, in you know hypothetical sense, but you look at the U.S. and what they're trying to do right now is open things up. Per se, the U.S. does open it. Well, they just extended the um, you know the border closing between U.S. and Canada for another 30 days. I'm wondering, with um, you know a lot of Canadian uh, hockey players having to go to the states to play, wherever they decide the neutral site may be, if that's the way they go, will they be able to get across and will they be able to go play? Or are they going to be locked here? And and what's going to happen there? Is there going to have to be you know special exemptions here and there for players to go, or is it going to be you know, just restrictions and they're not going to be able to go. That's another hurdle they have to clear. Yeah, I think there's there's no shortage of logistical challenges that, you know, obviously I think that, you know, they're thinking about, but ultimately even little things like that that you might obviously would not have to consider normally throughout a, you know, a regular, regular season um, could pose some additional challenges for sure. I'll say this, though, you know, if, the, if it does end up being a shortened or condensed playoff version – and the teams are all coming back kind of fat and happy, you know, not really in shape and it's sloppy hockey. I'll tell you a team that uh, definitely benefits from that. We see it every year. Toronto Maple Leafs, they run and gun the beginning of the year. They're high scoring. They're fun to watch. So maybe this might be our year to go knock a team or two off. That, that would be 
that that would be the most uh, you know Leafs thing to happen that the Leafs would win the Stanley Cup um, in a shortened playoff season, you know, for the first time since 1967, and then we'd never hear the end of how um, it's it not, was not a real Stanley Cup because you know you didn't do the full gauntlet. So I mean, of course that would be I wouldn't care. I would take the Stanley Cup no matter how many games are played to get it. Uh, but that would just be the most leafy thing possible is that they finally break the or end the Stanley Cup playoff drought. It happens to come in a pandemic season. And then we, you know, for the next 67 years, um, you know, we just hear nothing about how it wasn't a real Stanley Cup and blah, blah, blah. Right? So. <laughs> oh, yeah. It would be totally the biggest leaf thing. And of course, the year that we win the Cup, if we happen to do so. There'd be no fans there for the parade either because everybody would be afraid to be out. So it'd be the exactly. uh, most empty parade we'd ever have. But I'm with you. If the Leafs won the cup, hey, it looks the same on paper to me. There's no asterisks beside that cup because you won it and that's all there is to it. Um, before I let you go today, Mike, I know you have a 101 things getting going on. There is a famous gentleman who had a very, very big day on April the 17th in 1995. I'm wondering if you might know who that is. Famous gentleman on April, to like, sorry, what was the date again for April? Yeah, uh, for today's date, April seventeenth, in nineteen ninety-five. He's a famous hockey player. Uh, you might know the name when I say it to you. He hit a huge milestone, and it was the first player to do it. Uh, well, I, I probably have a tweet about it today, um, <laughs> but but I'm honestly drawing a blank because uh, I haven't looked at my phone uh, for a little while. So I mean, I'm, I'm thinking nineteen ninety-five. Um, Oh, geez. There's some big ones today. Like, Brodeur scored a goal in the playoffs today, but he wasn't the first goaltender to score a goal in the playoffs. Hextel did that before him. Um, uh, yeah, as, as much as I know who it is, and once you tell me, I'll kick myself, but I'm definitely drawing a blank right now as to who that might be. He's from the uh, the LA Kings, number 99, Wayne Gretzky. Hit 2,500 points in his career, oh, the yes. first player to do it. I knew you probably know it. I just I looked it up because I know you're the hockey historian, so I wanted to see if I could at least stump you a little bit, and I got to, so that makes me very happy. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I have it I have it queued up, so it definitely probably went out probably at uh, let's say eleven twenty five today. There probably was a tweet about that, so <laughs> but you definitely got me. Yeah. No, it's definitely I, I watch for your tweets, and again, a huge plug to Hockey Three Sixty Five because that is an amazing book. Everyone who hasn't read it needs to go out and get it make sure you read each and every story do it like we did here in our household we read a story a day at bedtime it's great because it follows each day of the year and it keeps the hockey knowledge flowing and especially at a time like this where there is no hockey why not read hockey history and get it from mike Camito? thanks i couldn't have said any better i appreciate it not a worries at all well again mike thank you very much for sparing some time Hopefully we'll have more hockey to talk about next time we jump on. But stay safe, my friend, and we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely, you too. Thanks a lot. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That is Mike Camito, author of Hockey 365, Stories from the Ice. Make sure you get that book. It is amazing to read. Me and my daughter, Bella, read it each and every evening. There's a story for each day, like I was just saying with Mike there. And, hey, everybody out there, stay safe. I know it's tough times. It's not easy sledding. But we are figuring things out, and hopefully everyone will come out on the other side more knowledgeable and more respectful and more appreciative to having each and every day the freedoms that we usually have to go here, there, and everywhere. Maybe this just puts a little perspective on it. And now we know what we need to do to stay safe. So make sure you're practicing your social distancing, washing your hands, disinfecting, and keeping 
your loved ones front of mind, I've always said so far in all my videos and all the podcasts. Make sure you're calling your friends, your family, your loved ones, and letting them know that you're thinking of them, you're caring, because you never know who's sitting at home alone who may just need to hear a friendly voice. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for sticking around. We'll talk to you again soon. Offside Hockey Talk is done for right now. Thank you.